0: Hey, Kingdom Roots friends, I hope you've had a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. With it being the new year, Scott and I are busy planning out what the rest of 2020 will look like for the Kingdom Roots podcast, but we would love your help. In the show notes, I've included a link to a short three-question survey that would greatly help us to continue to bring you the most helpful content. We're going to continue to drop an episode every first and third Thursday of the month, and we want to be as helpful as possible during our time together with you. Also, it wouldn't be right if I didn't attach an opportunity to win a copy of one of Scott's books to this survey. That's right. Just filling out this survey that really only took me less than a minute when I took it gives you a chance to win a copy of Scott's newest books, either a copy of Pastor Paul or Reading Romans Backwards. All you have to do is fill out the survey before January 31st for a chance to win. Well, I can't wait to hear from you as you help us keep the conversation going on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thanks so much for joining us today and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about a culture of storytellers. All right, Scott, we're continuing on in our Pastor Paul series here, looking at the different ways that um, Paul shaped a Christoform culture in the churches that he was a part of, and really nurtured that. And um, in this chapter, we talk about stories. So we'll just come out of the gate and ask why are our stories and having a, a culture of storytelling so central to nurturing a Christoform culture?
1: Well, again, let's emphasize the significance of a culture in our churches and the significance of a culture embodying what is seen as good and important and valuable for a, a given church and a given group of people. And a part of a culture formation, part of a culture's institutionalization, part of a culture's ongoing life is its capacity to know its story and to tell its story. Now, I, I have to begin with some confession here. I, I grew up with a father who was a storyteller. Mm. My dad loved to tell stories. Uh, when we would go to Southern Illinois in the summer for at least a week every summer, uh, we would sit around in the evening, and my dad and his brother, younger brother, and some of my uncles and my grandmother, and not so much my grandfather. He wasn't so much a storyteller. Um, they would sit around and tell stories, and so I, I grew up listening to stories told well. And a lot of them were funny, and they were they were. There wasn't any kind of uh, rhetorical form that people had to have. They just knew how to tell a story sitting around. Uh, in the evening under a big shade tree. Furthermore, my father was an English teacher, and so he read novels and talked about novels. I never really picked up the bug of reading novels. Uh, I had one spell, I think I was in seventh grade, where I read every sports novel on the shelves in my junior <laughs> high library. And then I, uh, my teacher got mad at me for doing nothing but sports, and she told me I couldn't <laughs> review any more sports novels so I didn't read any more novels. I, I wasn't interested in That's ones. funny. In English class <laughs> in high school I read some novels, but I didn't I didn't particularly care for them. And in college um I don't remember taking an English class where we had to read a bunch of novels. I didn't I didn't take those courses. Um and I never I I was pretty much a nonfiction reader until maybe the last 10 years. Yeah. And uh, I've been reading novels. Occasionally, I I would read some. I'd read some short stories. But, um, I mean, I have huge gaps. I've I've read C.S. Lewis's stories, of course. And I always read uh, this. These were my two novels for years that I read every year. I read Old Man and the Sea in the Summer by Ernest Hemingway. And I read A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens in December. And that was the only two novels I read every year. And I didn't read any more. Then someone, um, I don't think he tricked me, but he did trick me. Uh, Jay Phelan, one of my uh, colleagues and friends at North Park, told me I should read this new book by Marilyn Robinson called Gilead. And I was about 60 pages in when I wrote him and I said, is this a novel? And, uh, I think he probably laughed and said, obviously, and you really are odd that you didn't know that. So, um, and I read that novel. Um, and I, and I've since read uh, all of Marilyn Robinson's novels, starting with Gilead. I've read all, I think there's four of them. I've read them all twice. I've really enjoyed them. I've read a little bit more Hemingway. I've read, uh, Kent Hariff, um, Ralph Ellison, Annie Dillard, some Anne Rice, and Marilyn Robinson, and a South African friend told me to read J.M. Coetzee. So I've read that, and now I'm reading. This is unbelievable. This is an announcement. I'm reading the uh, the novels of Willa Cather. She wrote 13. Mm-hmm. I started with number two, I think, and I've read. I'm reading now the 13th when I'm done, I'll read the, her uh, number one, a short one, and I will be able to say that I've read every novel written by Willa Cather. Hmm. All right. So these are stories.
0: <laughs> well, I got to say, you know, your literary journey is a little different than mine. Uh, first, you, I think, write more than I could even read. <laughs> so I don't have near the list, but I, it's so funny that in, in junior high or whatever, you want, wanted to read all of your sports stories and your your teacher. Thought you needed other stuff, my teachers were just thrilled. I was reading anything, so my deal was Captain Underpants. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> oh, Scott, it's that it will revolutionize your literary journey. Uh, reading <laughs> Captain Underpants. <laughs> it, it's probably more pictures than words, actually, but whatever. Okay. So I'm into reading now, but uh, this is funny. So, so we well, said yeah, to... go ahead.
1: Okay. The the reason I bring this up. The, all these novels is because humans are inherently storytellers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Since and the dawn of history, yeah.
1: Our, our minds operate, our, our very beings operate with stories. We tell stories of ourselves to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We make meaning of ourselves through a storytelling device of how individual events fit in our life and how they've shaped us. And we can become far more conscious of the various events in our life. And this is in many ways what psychology is actually doing. It makes people aware of what's going on in their own life. Um, and we we have dominant uh, master stories that shape our culture. And one of the things that uh, is a big concern to me, and is no surprise to people who listen to the Kingdom Roots podcast, is I think that we have become the America, the USA, the church has become intoxicated with the story of statism. And what I mean by that is the really meaningful story that gets us most animated Mm -hmm. is the story of who will be the next president or who who is the current president and how our culture and society will be so much better if we displace Trump and put in whoever. Um, this, this is a story of statism. And I. it's not that I don't think politics matters. I don't think it matters as much as many people think it matters. But of course, it matters that who our leaders are and the kind of culture that they can shape. Furthermore, um, whoever our leaders are is going to generate counter stories mm-hmm. that um, are influential in our culture as well. But I, I think that um, we have we have created in the church are fallen for a status story where we have be, it's sort of a secular eschatology of the kingdom of God that if we can get the right president elected, then our world is going to be so much better. Now I I honestly believe that there are so many people uh, there are many people today who are so. Distraught by our current president, that anybody who is a new president would change their life. But I actually think it won't change their life. It'll Mm -hmm. just change, for most of them, the quotient of their complaints. Because uh, this has become, uh, this is going to become, I fear, an endless tirade and outrage against whoever is president. I, I think the culture that we have right now is that if the Democrats win the next election, That the Republicans are going to be just the way the Democrats are today. And the Democrats can be happy for four years or eight years, and the Republicans will be mad, and then it'll flip. Mm -hmm. And this is not, uh, this is a story that is dominating and ruling our culture, our Facebook pages, Mm -hmm. our Twitter feeds, our minds, our conversations in such a way that the story of Jesus is no longer the story that we are living by. So I have a chapter in Pastor Paul in this project of mine about the Bible story. And one of the themes I make uh, because of a a recent book uh, that uh, the Old Testament is dying. It's really quite an interesting book by Brent Strawn uh, called The Old Testament is Dying. In other words, that the old story... Is dying in the sense that people don't know Israel's story. Um, Chaz, let me pick on our seminary students now. (laughs) I think it is the case that many who are even going into ministry, who are in seminary, have never read the Old Testament. Mm. Um, They didn't grow up with the Bible, Uh, they didn't go to a Christian college where they were forced to read the Bible. They have never really sat down and read through the Bible from cover to cover. They haven't read the Old Testament. They don't know Jeremiah from Ezekiel. They wouldn't know um, uh, an Old Testament prophet unless he's Isaiah or Habakkuk or somebody who, who they've heard of. And I, and I do think that uh, that changes the culture of storytelling that Christians can tell. If you pick up... Um, a collection of sermons, say, by Charles Spurgeon over a century ago, or if you pick up a collection of sermons from the 1940s and 50s and 60s, uh, you will find pastors who can make allusions and metaphors to Old Testament texts without citation that people in their churches would know and pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, increasingly, you can't talk about the left-handed judge. You can't... Uh, uh, make allusions to the Book of Judges. You can't. I, I could can go on with this. You, uh, we we don't know the Old Testament. Brent Strawn is right.
0: Even that names, called, you know, like even major characters. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right.
0: David or Moses or what? Yeah, it's not.
1: Yeah, I think I they mean, know David and Moses yeah. and Abraham. Uh, they might know Methuselah because he's so weird, or Melchizedek. But if you start mentioning uh, Joshua. Uh okay, Miriam. Ooh, I'm not so sure. Aaron and his role with uh, Moses. Uh, some of these names and kings and you know they know. Okay, we we could go mm-hmm. on with this. Let's stop with that, with that one. We need we need to recognize that without that story, the story of Jesus does not have cash. Mm-hmm. It doesn't jump and throb and beat and vibrate, and resonate the way it needs to, and the way it did for those who lived in that other story, and who knew it. So I encourage people to read the Old Testament, and just to make a regular habit, I'm reading through John Goldingay's First Testament Translation of the Old Testament. For my second time now, the first year, I read four chapters a day. Now I'm reading two chapters a day, and underlining and marking and really enjoying his translation. Um, but that that story is the story that gave life to the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel in Paul and Peter and James and John and so um, I've urged people to uh, learn that story to make sense of the Jesus story and I think the central theme of the Jesus story, Uh, can be found in a simple gospel statement in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, where Paul says, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Uh, I think the central gospel story of the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord, and in my chapter, I focus on uh, Jesus being the Lord over Israel's story. Jesus being the Lord over the cosmos, where we have the principalities and powers, and flesh and death and sin. That Jesus conquers. He is the Lord over evil, which uh, where I develop death and sin and the powers. And he is the Lord over the church. So if I could replace our obsession with the story of statism in the church, I would replace it with a routine statement every morning by Christians from Romans 10, 9 to 10, that Jesus is Lord.
0: So I think that that brings a lot of clarity I, I think one of the questions is even seeing this is is a chapter in your book is um when it since it's a book about Paul, Pastor Paul, uh, when I think of storytellers, it's really natural for me to think of, oh well, yeah, Jesus is a storyteller. He told stories all the time. That was a r- very clear medium to communicate the stories that he had and the the story he was inviting people into as well. But when I think about Paul, I think of of letters and I think of instructions and I think of all of these things. So I, I would want I wonder if you just have any insights or would be able to expand how you see like the the Romans passage that you just quoted, how is that Paul telling a story? If you could expand on that at all.
1: Yeah, okay. That's a summary of his story. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Lord. All right. Um Chaz, in our classes at Northern, I I when we talk about narrative, mm-hmm. I talk about um we use Romans 9 through eleven often as an example. And you could use Philippians 2, etc. But and we compare this narrative of Romans 9 through 11 with other narratives in Israel's history and in Jewish uh, texts outside the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I always emphasize this there are certain people who have to be a part of the story Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, some of the prophets. There are certain events that have to be part of the story if it's a legitimate, really important story of Israel. You have to have creation, you have to have covenant. You have to have law. You have to have, let's say, exile to Egypt, to Babylon, to Assyria. You have to have return from exile. You have to have the building of the temple. You have to have the Lord coming to the temple. Uh, you have to have battles and war and victory. You have to have these things for the story. You also need to have themes. So, covenant, law, grace. God, uh, redemption, sacrifice, sin, salvation, Uh, these themes have to come up. And individual writers, let's call them individual storytellers in the history of Israel and in the texts that have survived, have combined these people, these, let's say, places, these events, these major themes in various ways. Sirach, combines them differently than Maccabees, combines them differently than Qumran's um, uh, major scroll, 1QS, the community scroll, um, with Paul, with Acts, with Hebrews 11, with um, the various stories in the New Testament. Ben Witherington uh, once wrote a book on the narrative world of the Apostle Paul. So if we were to take Paul and say what are the major people he talks about what are the major events he talks about what are the major themes that he presents what are the major scriptures that he cites we will begin to see the narrative world of the apostle paul and i think that is so important is that what is our what are the central themes of our narratives is it the new testament's narrative mm. What are the central characters in our narrative? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what are the, you know, I, I know some theologians for whom the only name that matters is Karl Barth. I know some others for whom the only name that really matters is Jürgen Moltmann. Mm-hmm. And and they process everything through that thinker. And I think, okay, those are important theological thinkers in the history of the church, but the central narrative of the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord. The central characters are people like Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah. And, of course, Jesus as the Messiah. These are the central characters that we need to focus on to form our narrative. Statism has replaced that narrative in our culture today in such a way that ordinary Christians no longer have a Christian narrative. They have a political narrative. That is what I mean by status. Okay, I've kind of
0: preached on Well, that. and I think it's such a good point, and, and I think you're spot on to see that as the... Um, the story that we tell ourselves, and that we we feel like if we get this story right, then my life will be better, or, or however somebody may make sense of it. So, I guess my kind of closing question for our time together would be: How, as the church, do we let this gospel story, God's story found throughout all of Scripture, really sink into every fiber of our being as a church? What if, what practices do we need to be doing? How do we how how do we get this story so integrated that it is just second nature for us to think about it and live into it?
1: Well, it's not going to happen because we preached a single six week sermon series on the narrative of the Bible. What? Um, I, would say, oh, no. I would say, over time, we need to become Bible readers. Over time, preaching and teaching and discipling and class materials in churches need to focus on the central characters of the Bible, uh, the central events of the Bible, the central themes of the Bible, and over and over allow each scripture that we talk about get uh, get, uh, get filled in or set in the context of that larger narrative. And in a period of five to 10 years, more and more people will be thinking in the narrative and the story of the Bible rather than any other way. One of the interesting things, Chaz, you probably don't even know this. I've been asked to consider writing a book with with a theologian, a systematician. Um, And this other person would write uh, five things that a systematic theologian would like a biblical theologian to know. And I've been asked to write five things a biblical theologian would like a systematic theologian to know. Hmm. And when I was at SBL in San Diego, And with some emails, I've written to some friends and and talked to some friends and said, if you had to answer that, what what are the five things? Number one is this. I would tell systematic theologians to frame theology in the Bible's narrative. Mm -hmm. Now That is interesting because biblical theologians are learning to think in a story. Mm -hmm. And for evangelicals, there's no doubt that this started with Tom Wright's New Testament and the people of God. Uh, he wasn't the first to be doing this, but um, that really sealed the deal for many evangelicals. And Tom formed a narrative that he tried to get people to think with. And more and more people do it. Kevin Van Hooser, for instance, at Trinity, uh, operates often with a narrative theology. So I, I just can't wait to see what he does with his, he's writing a systematic theology now. Hmm. Uh, I'd like, I want to see what his framing devices are. So, I would say that we need to focus hard and work hard at keeping the story prominent in how we frame our Christian faith.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I love Tom Wright's illustration about how today, when we think about the kingdom taking root and the mission we're a part of now, is that we're like actors on a stage that have had previous acts come before us. And if we're going to do a good job acting and playing our role that we're in currently— we have to be able to understand the other acts and how it incorporates into yeah. it. And I think that's just a, such a, a, a true way and the importance of why we need a culture of storytelling. So, all right. As we wrap up, any other closing thoughts that you want to send us away with today? Um,
1: well, I feel like <laughs> I kind of preached uh, that chapter. Uh, I, I would just say that uh, this isn't something that can be fixed overnight, but it can be reformed over a decade <laughs> as a church forms a culture. Of storytelling. Now, there's also a sense that we have our own story to tell, but we'll talk about that in another episode. Yeah. But we have uh, the story of Jesus to tell. And to tell that story well, we need to know the story of Israel.
0: Absolutely. So, well, thank you, Scott. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. And uh, hopefully, you are sitting well with the story of God uh, in your life as you think about how that can and should and will impact the life of of you individually and collectively as the church um, because the story of Jesus is essential for the kingdom to take root now so thanks again for joining us and we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now